Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That's the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Why am I reading it to you? Because some people seem to be confused about what it means. The First Amendment has absolutely nothing to do with the latest Joe Rogan controversy. But because Rogan's dangerous COVID disinformation was making a dent in Spotify's bottom line, their CEO released a statement. We know we have a critical role to play in supporting creator expression while balancing it with the safety of our users. In that role, it is important to me that we don't take on the position of being content censor while also making sure that there are rules in place and consequences for those who violate them. Wow, strong stuff. Rogan also responded, claiming that it's his goal to create lively conversations, not promote misinformation. He promised, no doubt with his fingers crossed behind his back, that he would do his best in the future to, quote, balance things out. He's opened, he continued, to having more experts with differing opinions on right after I have the controversial ones, which undoubtedly means he won't bother. The CEO claimed that Spotify has removed in excess of 20,000 podcast episodes, including 40 of Rogan's, for including misinformation. Cool. But why does somebody who breaks the rules 40 times still get to break the rules? Removing a podcast episode isn't much of a sanction. So what's the difference between Spotify giving a platform to Rogan as opposed to iTunes offering podcasts by the likes of Ben Shapiro, Dan Bongino, and Steve Bannon? For starters, Spotify is paying Rogan in excess of $100 million. Second, time after time, Rogan has broken the company's own policies about misinformation. A bigger question is, why does Spotify not think that Rogan's blatant racism is enough of a reason to get rid of his show? Here are a couple of excerpts from the Joe Rogan experience that Spotify seems totally okay paying for. In a stupid exchange with fascist creep Jordan Peterson, he and Rogan debated the use of the terms white and black. Just as a quick aside, though, one of the other infuriating things about Rogan's having the platform he has is that he is so moronic, it's painful. Anyway, after Peterson claimed he wasn't really white, he was 10, Rogan replied, if you're 10, then what the fuck am I? Because I'm darker than you. That's ridiculous. Neither of us are white, Peterson said. Well, isn't that weird, Rogan stated? The black and white thing is so strange because the shades are such a spectrum of shades of people. Unless you're talking to someone who's like 100% African from the darkest place where they're not wearing any clothes all day and they've developed all that melanin to protect themselves from the sun, even the term black is weird. On another occasion, Rogan recounts a time he and his friends wanted to see the movie The Planet of the Apes. After finding a theater, they hopped into a cab and Rogan asks the driver if the theater is in a good neighborhood. He says, yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't even speak English. He takes us there. We get out. We're giggling. Oh, we're going to see Planet of the Apes. We walk into Planet of the Apes. We walk into Africa, dude. We walked in the door, and there were no white people. Rogan has also defended his use of the N-word, saying, it's not real racism. It's a joke. There's a difference. 
I decided to cancel my premium Spotify subscription this week, as did a lot of other people, because it appears Spotify lost about $4 billion in value. My gesture may not make a difference, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't make it. I think it's probably likely that for every subscriber Spotify lost, Joe Rogan got a new one. So what? We still need to walk the walk. And collectively, we might make a difference. Pulling my podcast off of Spotify probably won't make a difference either. It probably won't even be a blip on the radar screen. But I'm doing it anyway. Because I understand the First Amendment. Joe Rogan has every right to be a racist promoter of disinformation. Spotify has every right to pay him for being those things. And I have every right to say enough and no more. I'm really happy today to have as my guest, Dino Badala. Um, first of all, I've been watching his commentary on MSNBC for years now. And uh, not only does he have incredible insights, but he's really fucking funny. And uh, I'm also really honored to call him my friend. Dean was a lawyer, is a mm -hmm. lawyer by training, um, and has become a writer. He's an award-winning comedian. Uh, he has some amazing stuff going on in addition to his daily series program. Um, but he's got a uh, free Freedom from Fox campaign going on and... Um, an organization called Stand Up for Peace, all of which we're going to get to. But first of all, I just want to say, Good. hey, how are you? And so Thanks happy for having me. Congratulations on your show. It's great. Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. Um, I'm, I'm really sorry to have gotten you on this week during the very, very yeah. slow news cycle. So, you know, maybe instead of talking about since not much is going on, we, you can just do some sure, stand-up. Sure, yeah, there's nothing going on at all. It's not like uh, Donald Trump threatened to pardon the terrorists who attacked our capital or call for supporters to replicate January 6th by storming the courthouse when he's on trial. <laughs> They're going to frame from prison. It's going to be like a jailbreak from the West. They're going to come in with a horse and a rope, and they're going to tie you to the prison bars. And they're like, come on, Donald, let's go. And he's not going to go on a horse. He's not, that, he's not a horse guy. <laughs> no, but, but it's, going, it's going to be more like a scene from Blazing Saddles. Oh, that's great. And well, yeah. uh, it's true. Very funny. Right. The whole wall comes down. Look, it's, every, it depends how much the media is covering. You know, I wrote about what Donald said at his rally on Saturday, and I call him Donald because you do. And I, I started Thank my you. article by writing, I try to avoid him, and I think we all should, gleefully, but there are times you can't look away because it's dangerous. And that's what was happening Saturday. So that's why I haven't written an article about Donald Trump specifically in probably a, a few months after the insurrection. And then I really said, I'm not writing about this guy. But now that was very dangerous. Yeah, you're right. And I, that's been my position for a while now. I, I think we, we missed the, the opportunity, or I should say the, the right missed the opportunity to render him irrelevant. Right. Um, once they decided to go all in on the big lie, um, there was no going back because he still is the leader of that party. He is gleefully the leader of their party. They, they love him. Look, I would have said after January 6th, 
You can call me naive. I don't think I am naive, but I actually thought after January 6th when Kevin McCarthy went on the floor of the House the week later and blamed Trump and said he bears responsibility and members of Congress literally fled for their lives on the Republican side, that I thought that was it. I thought they were going to jettison any connection to Donald Trump going forward. And that didn't happen. It went the opposite. Kevin McCarthy flies down and kisses Donald's ring and other parts of his body, whatever he wanted, did a massage. And the GOP realized that we need this guy to raise money. Our base loves him, even though some of them are probably disgusted by what he did. Others are fine with it because we've talked about this a lot. The silence of the GOP leaders yeah. wasn't because they were afraid of Trump. It's because they agreed with Donald. You know, they agreed with him forever. Even if they didn't like his methods, they liked the end game, which was power. So they were completely on board with power. So to me, they were more than complicit. Yeah. They emboldened him. They empowered him. They enabled him. They are just as guilty as Donald Trump. And that's why this entire GOP, in my view, is a fascist movement. And I really I just pitched an article the other day. Democrats, start using the term fascism, except for like Congressman Raskin and Ruben Gallego. Right. If you Google right. fascism and Democrats, you'll see a ton of articles written by the right calling us fascists. And nothing about Democratic members of the Congress, not Chuck Schumer or anyone calling the GOP what they are. And I think that's a real great disservice for our republic. Well, that's a, that's another thing you and I have talked about going way back now. Uh, call lies lies, call racism racism, and now the next iteration call fascism right. fascism. And I, I think you you made a brief reference to your latest article for CNN. I read for I CNN. I'm a whore. Um, yeah, you do, but mostly you're at DailyBeastCNN.com. And uh, this article was fantastic, so I want to talk a little bit more about what uh, the dangers you saw. Uh, unfolding, not just not just in terms of what Donald said at the rally, but the non the complete non response, the crickets that we continue to hear from the right, no matter what, and also the implications going forward for at, at least from what it seems from the outside, from a layperson, the continuing inaction of the Department of Justice. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you wrote and 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 what we should expect going forward? The, each of those things could be like an hour conversation because of what's going on. Where's the DOJ? <laughs> like we have to do where in the world is Carmen San Diego, yeah. but oh. with Merrick Garland, like where in the world? We need yeah. proof of life. Someone's got to show, hold the mirror up to him yeah. when he's sitting at his desk. Is he there? Because we're seeing it happen. Now, first and foremost, we can go back to Saturday. Donald Trump has a rally in in Texas. And there says two things that really catch everyone's attention. And thankfully they did. First was, he said the January 6th terrorists were being treated unfairly. And that if he's elected in 2024, that he might have to pardon them. And let's be very clear. The January 6th attackers are, they are terrorists, not because Dino Bidala said it, because Christopher Ray, the FBI director, has testified. And the Department of Justice has also noted in court, January 6th was an act of domestic terrorism. That's their language, because it fulfills the elements of the definition of domestic terrorism under U.S. law. It's not speculation. It was an act of domestic and terrorism. There's no dispute. Exactly. And you tweet that. I don't know. Are you still doing that on a daily basis? Because that's one of my favorite I things. I tweet a lot of crazy stuff daily because I, want, I understand. It's I've learned messages crazy. from someone named Donald who the ideas repeat, repeat, repeat all the time. And, it's, and he didn't come up with that. Frank Lutz and his book and others have talked about you've got to repeat mm -hmm. it when people are when you're tired of saying it, it's the first time people have heard it. It's sort of like that rule of thought. So you say, right. I'm like, I'm so tired. That's Some right. People, oh, did you just say that? And you're like, what? In any event. So to me, right. I keep telling people, 
Everyone involved in the attack on January 6th is a terrorist with a T, terrorist, because if you're engaged in an act of domestic terrorism, then you are a terrorist. It's like two plus two equals four. But I know what you're thinking, but they're not brown. Yeah, I know. Here's the point, America. You have to overcome the fact that white people yeah. can be terrorists. And not just Timothy McVeigh, there are other terrorists. Everyone involved in January 6th was a terrorist. They were there for a political goal, and they used violence to do it. So Donald Trump wants to pardon the terrorists. You imagine a Democrat saying we should pardon terrorists? People would go crazy. Donald would go crazy. But instead, he's fine. So he wants to pardon the terrorists, sending the clear message to his supporters. You commit an act of violence in my name, I got your back. He didn't get it there back when he was in office, but he's saying in the future, I got your back. He is going to protect the terrorists. So that was the first part that is jaw-dropping. Um, a couple of Republicans who happen to be caught on Sunday shows going, oh, that's totally inappropriate. It's traitor. It's treasonous. That's what it is. The terrorists who attacked our capital. And then second, he said if he is charged with crimes by the racist prosecutors because they're black, that's why they're racist. He's talking about Tish James and the Fulton County DA because they're both black women, which mm-hmm. really... They, nobody triggers the white right more than black women. The strong black women just... So he's like, if the racists charge me, I need you to have the biggest protest we've ever seen. And he had just said he's going to pardon the terrorists. So he's saying, go to the streets. And I got your back again. And, you know, the DA in Fulton County on Sunday, we learned this yesterday, has now requested the FBI to do a risk assessment of her courthouse there to protect not her, everyone. Because pre-January 6th, that might sound over the top. After January 6th, it is the responsible thing to do. We have a fascist movement on U.S. soil, and it's led by Donald Trump, and it's one using violence to acquire and retain political power. That's the essence of fascism. It's right here. So that's that. You got that part. Yeah. We can talk about Merrick Garland next if you want, but that would. Yeah, I, let's stick with this for a second, because um, it's not simply that it's a fascist movement led by Donald. It's a fascist movement that is embodied by the entire party. We, you know, we have two major political parties in this country. One of the, one of them is now a party of fascists. And I agree with you. Why the hell the Democrats aren't using that language is beyond my comprehension because the right calls us fascists sometimes, communists, socialists, yeah, or Marxists or sometimes. I mean, but none of it makes any sense, and they can't explain why those terms should be applied to us because they can't, because they're, they're completely inaccurate. So if we either don't counter it by using accurate language or we use the language without explaining it, then it's another example of, you know, they said it, they, we're, we're saying it, so it's just a bunch of name-calling. We can back up the use sure. of those terms with facts, just as we could with lies and just as we can continue to with racism and Islamophobia and homophobia and misogyny, et cetera. So um, that's that's one thing. The other thing, though, is that, you know, you mentioned the concerned Republicans on the Sunday shows. You know, they're they're so concerned, in fact, that they won't rule out backing Donald in 2024, a la Susan Collins. So. Is it safe to say that there is literally no such thing anymore as a moderate Republican uh, in the Republican Party of those who are elected? If they are, I don't know where they are. They've left the party. I think most of the people who really despised what this turned into have left. And for people who are wondering, like, what does fascism really mean? Let me give you a really a simple thing here. 
Fascism is the enemy of democracy, and today's GOP is fascism. So it's that simple. Fascism is the enemy of democracy. Remember that. You don't have to know the full definition because fascism is not like socialism or communism. As Madeleine Albright in her great book, Fascism and Warning Expressed, and others like Timothy Snyder, fascism is not an ideological movement like socialism is this or communism is that. It's just ism. Fascism is just a way to acquire, retain political power. That's all it is. So fascism is the enemy of democracy. It does not believe in democracy. Today's GOP has embraced that. And when I say it, you know, you really want fascism, what, what it is, so people can explain it more. It's using undemocratic means to acquire or retain power, plus violence. That's the big, that's the big thing all experts talk about. You need violence. January 6th was the act of violence. If the GOP had turned their back on Trump then, I would not be calling them a fascist movement. Instead, as I put in my, C- in my CNN article, and I mention on my show all the time, there's a CBS poll two weeks ago. 56% of Republicans, not Trumpers, of Republicans view January 6th not as an act of domestic terrorism, but as an act, wait for it, defending freedom. Defending freedom. That should scare you when a majority of the other party, and an ABC poll backed it up, 52% view January 6th as an act of patriotism. We're in, this is not normal. We are not normal times. We're not dealing with a political party. We're debating on issues. They just want power. And they don't care how they're going to get it. If it's violence, if it's voter suppression efforts, which they're doing, you know, 34 laws in 19 states, and they're going to pass a lot more this year. They don't care. They just want power. And, you know, what I tweet every day is a reminder, today's GOP is not a political party. It's a white nationalist fascist movement that must be utterly destroyed to save our republic. Period. I stand by that. So this is... Are there some good Republicans deep down who don't like it? Maybe, but they like the power. So they are complicit. They are enablers. They are part of this. There are no good Republicans, in my view, at this point. They've left the party. There are good conservatives who are not Republicans anymore, who I've debated with. I'll debate policy with them all day. I like them. I respect them. If they're just about Mm -hmm. conservative, they want higher taxes or lower taxes or bigger government, smaller. We can debate that as long as you join me in defending democracy. Yeah. And, and as you said, that, that they have left the party. And if they haven't, then uh, they are not who they claim to be, in, in my view. Because as you said, before January 6th, I don't know that we could have said that the, the Republican Party is a fascist party. Although, I mean, I think we could argue about that a little bit because of the big lie, the perpetuation of the big lie that was allowed to happen um, and everything that um, was allowed to happen during covid um, but regardless, Donald has been a fascist all along, and which has made the his party's refusal to hold him accountable or their willingness to look away even more egregious. Uh, how many opportunities did the Republican Party have to turn their backs on him, to go in a different direction? And I think you're absolutely right. It is not. This is a party without policy. This is a party that is only about power and willing to use violence or willing to uh, look away while violence is being used. But then there's another aspect to it. There's the propaganda. There is the propaganda. And I will say, pre-January 6th, the GOP already was an autocratic party, which was meaning undemocratic. Mm-hmm. And experts have shown that they yeah. had tracked that before January 6th, that they were embracing undemocratic means to gather power. And the one big example is where the end norms was the Merrick Garland nomination for the Supreme Court. And Mitch McConnell creates this new rule where he doesn't give up power. But the norm, the norms up and then were of a, a Supreme Court justice dies. That was in February. 
that of course you would confirm it. So he made up a new rule and said you can't. And that has a lasting impact on us as, because that would have made the Supreme Court 5-4 Democrat that time. It's just remarkable to think where we would have been. Now we're at 6-3 Republican. So look, their propaganda is part and parcel yeah. of who they are. They lie. There's no truth anymore. We have this bizarre world where it's post-truth and they just gaslight us daily. And the GOP base, mm -hmm. and, and I've talked to them. People go like, you should just, you know, people call my show, fellow Democrats go, you should just talk to these Republicans and then tell them the truth. I go, have, have you talked to them? There's no, you can, t doesn't matter what you say. The only truth is what they believe. There's no real, their truth is subjective. It's what they want to believe. You poll Republicans now, overwhelmingly, they think that Joe Biden didn't win the election legitimately, that there was fraud. Even though there's no evidence of fraud, they have none. It doesn't matter. They believe what they want. And that's where it's beyond cult-like. That's where it's fascist. You've got a leader dictating reality, and then he animates people to act based on the reality he's created. And, you know, you talk about Republicans being so, they had chances to break from this. My favorite thing is when Donald would say racist and bigoted stuff, and their answer, like on CNN, was like, well, those are not the words I would have chosen. And I wish the angers would have been like, oh, so when you're being racist, what words do you use? But they would never ask them that. I mean, like, that's not, that's not the way I would have banned all Muslims. You know, tell us, our media has been so ill-equipped through this, and they continue to be now, their bias is towards ratings and revenue, and that's really bad for our, our nation, and we're seeing that now. It, it's, in fact, I, I would argue that uh, it, it is the most dangerous thing because it is Conversely, the, the strongest defense we have or should have against encroaching fascism, right? So when the media don't seem to understand what's going on or don't seem to be willing to use the language that will help people understand, um, then we're, we're in a really dark place here. In fact, am I wrong in, in thinking that things are worse now than they were? That's a, a great point. I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, polling among Democrats doesn't show that. There has been polls that show Democrats think, like a third of them think we're in a better place than we were four years ago. And we talked on my show and people called to try to make sense of it that, well, Donald's out of office, so some people feel better. But those people, that means they're not following closely any longer. Donald made them follow closely. So they've checked out. Like, we got rid of the monster. Things have to be better. I think it's worse than that. We're seeing a GOP follow the fascist playbook and the authoritarian playbook, one in suppressing the vote, vote rigging, which is George, the greatest example of it, and other states are going to copy that, to they've gone from academic freedom to academic fascism in that they're banning anything they don't like because the things they don't like, in their view, challenge their ability to rule. So they want to get rid of books that, it's not even critical race theory, you read the laws, it's things that make you uncomfortable. You know, they call us snowflakes, right? But it, right. they're uncomfortable because someone's talking about Jim Crow or slavery that you can't teach. It's not the kids right. uncomfortable. Kids are learning about it for the first time. Why would they be uncomfortable? It's their parents or their grandparents who are uncomfortable. So you've got that going on. You've got banning LGBT books, don't say gay bill in Florida. It's going to become law down there. You've got book banning, which is one step from book burning going on. Um, yeah, things are worse because they're more animated because the, the the threat is more acute. Donald Trump was the the guardian at the gate of white supremacy. And with him losing, it means to a lot of them on the right that we are really going to lose this, that demographic change is happening and we're going to be in the minority mm -hmm. and we're going to be ruled by people who don't look like us. 
And sadly, I wish that wasn't an animator, but it is an animator. And it, I think it has to be discussed. I don't know if there's a way to relieve people's concerns because for years, and I'm Muslim, and it's I'm not just throwing it out there for random sake, there's a relevancy to it, that they passed these anti-Sharia law legislation and they call it foreign law. And they did this, and deep down, they probably didn't think Muslims are really gonna take over the country and impose Islamic law. We were 2% of the country, but they were afraid and they were really upset and they passed laws. Demographic change is real. So what I saw with the Phantom Menace, and now you've got a real menace in front of them, and they view it as a menace, I don't. Demographic change is beautiful, America's dynamic. What they view as a real threat mm -hmm. is animating them even more. So I don't know where this ends. You know, the Texas abortion law, I mean, they, they've gone 100% in on turning their religious beliefs that they far right into the law of the land to, to oppress women. And they don't care whatsoever. They're not even hesitant about it. This is about their religious beliefs and their pro-life beliefs are animating them. And that's based on religion. Now it's gonna be the law of the land. So yeah, I think Americans, if you're paying attention, we're in a worse place today than we were in the closing days of the Trump administration because they were not as panicked. They thought somehow he was gonna win. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's fair if, if worrisome that people would want to default to things are better because they are in appreciable ways. Biden has done an extraordinary job with the economy, even though the media know, don't want yeah. to give many credit for it. Uh, you know, COVID is definitely better, what uh, in excess of um, it's a huge percentage. I mean, it's not enough, but I, I mean, 60 something percent of Americans are vaccinated now. In New York, it's 90 percent. Um, on, on Long Island, uh, which is where I just moved from, it's like 96% really? of people that's are vaccinated. That's Long Island. Yeah, there's it's a insane. lot of redness pockets there. It, uh, yeah, well, it's, I guess it's the, the okay. western part of Long Island. But anyway, that's still really impressive. Um, so I, I think it is, it is difficult for people to hang on to the terror all of the time because, uh, you know, we don't have the luxury of not paying attention, but other people, well, I mean, sometimes it's not even the luxury. They just don't have the time. They have to work three jobs to put food on the table or whatever the case may be, because Republicans do nothing to help working people. But there's also this sense that, um, or sorry, I should say what I've seen this real shift and Donald, I think, is largely responsible for for this, even though generally speaking, he's a symptom of a, a, a much older disease. Um, he has, with the help of the media, normalized openness about being racist, about being anti-immigrant, about um, being, about lying, about cri criminality. You know, he has consistently been committing or admitting to crimes in the open. And instead of that being a red flag, it almost convinces people, and it does convince a lot of people that, well, if he's saying it out loud, it must be okay. You know, and the, the inverse of that is, as you just said earlier, if they're introducing a law, making it illegal to um, implement Sharia, or if they're banning critical race theory in schools, then these things must be a real danger. So Donald's like kind of kind of playing the opposite game by saying, "Yeah, I I, uh, I actively incited insurrection against the American government, but since I'm saying it out loud, it must be okay." I think that 
the legacy of Donald Trump is what you're saying, that the GOP, they say things out loud they never would have said. For example, right now, even though Joe Biden is not nominated, who was going to be on the court, we know it'll be a black woman. And we have people like Ted Cruz uh, saying it's offensive and that black women are only 6% of the country, so why are we ruling out the rest? You know, we've never had a black woman on the court and one in 235 years is one too many, apparently, for the right. They've also, we've only had two black people yeah. on. The, the, the Supreme Court was all white men till 1967, folks. So keep that in mind. Every right. white person was there. I think we have to make up for an all black Supreme Court going forward. Like for a few years, that'd be kind of, imagine the freak out on the right. Then you had Rod. Well, and all male until what, 1980, right, whatever. Right, exactly. And, and then you have the Senator Roger Wicker from uh, Mississippi saying, well, this is like affirmative wow. action. And he suggested that whoever it is is yeah. going to be a quota hire. It's just like filling a quota. And his idea is like, that's wrong. No, you're using all the dog whistles for your base to hear that this person, whoever it might be, in the top tier, remarkably qualified people who should be head and shoulders above, regardless of race, regardless of gender. And they're gonna, he'll pick someone That's right. who very likely could be the, the Court of Appeals judge who just got confirmed in June, who has a remarkable pedigree. But whoever it's going to be, it's going to be someone truly outstanding in every way. And, right. you know, they had no problem when Roger, Ronald Reagan committed to appointing a woman because she's a black woman. That's the problem mm -hmm. right here. So they were open about it. Years ago, I don't think they would have said things loudly about a black woman. They'd be like, you know, we, we don't want to do this. We still want to try to attract black voters. I think this GOP has made themselves team white. And they don't, they understand that they're not about trying to get black people. Some brown, some Hispanics, they are, have made some inroads on conservative religious issues on, from what I understand, and speaking to some people who are activists in the community, and I was surprised, but they have a little bit. But they've given up, I think, on in any way courting black people, except for Tim Scott, I think, and Ben Carson, and Candace Owens. That's about, there, there are a few, right? But yeah. that's, they don't care. Oh, how can you forget, uh Cubic zirconia and what's her name? Diamond, Diamond and Silk. Diamond and Silk. Yeah, this is, I mean, look at the world we're, we're in right now. And to get back to a point made earlier about black women, think about how black women, for some reason, so trigger the right. Think about how they've been coming after Vice President Harris now over and over. They haven't stopped. Maxine Waters, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, uh, Joy Reid, our friend Joy Reid. They they put lying mm -hmm. articles like her show's canceled and they and that's not true at all. It's not getting canceled at all. It's doing great in the ratings. They literally right. want to silence right. her so much that if they can't do it in the real world. They're going to do the fiction world. Well, she's getting canceled anyway, because a strong black woman scares them both in race and in gender. It's emasculating to them on some level. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and and I think Donald exemplified that. He rarely went after strong women uh, because. He's a, a wimp and it is, it's their kryptonite. And I think it's, well, there are so many reasons and I, you know, I almost don't right. care why it's that they're doing it. It's, it's obscene. It's the hypocrisy. Um, I shouldn't, it shouldn't amaze me, but it never ceases <laughs> to amaze me. Just the blatant hypocrisy. The fact that um, Ilya Shapiro also decided to weigh on this issue by saying that, um, you know, objectively the best candidate. And then he named, I believe, an, um, um, an American man of uh, Asian Indian descent, um, that he was objectively the most qualified person 
as if there's such a thing as the most objectively qualified anything, right? Um, and that, but because of uh, because of Biden's commitment, we're going to end up with a lesser black woman. Uh, thankfully, he's on leave from Georgetown now for that despicable comment. But it's the fact that people no longer have any compunction about saying these things out loud as if there isn't going to be any blowback, because again, there very often isn't, and which kind of brings us back to what is going on uh, in terms of holding people accountable. I mean, are 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 the oath keepers really the big fish no. that we're after? No. Uh, <laughs> you know, those who who were charged with seditious peers that cannot be. Things are so right? bad. I've actually spoken to Glenn Kirshner about citizens' arrest. We were looking into it. I mean, I'm not even kidding because you can legally do citizens' arrest in most states. Right, but he, I, I bring you. It's be so great. We go to the country club in Jersey yeah. when he's up here. Yeah. We just arrest him like on the fourth hole and take him away with us. And, we, and him screaming and uh, which home? Yeah, well, he's inevitably looking for right, a golf so ball in cheating, the rough. Well, stop him from cheating playing golf. Too, uh, so, <laughs> look, right. I mean, I will say this, that if Merrick Garland ultimately doesn't charge Donald Trump, Millions of Americans who believe in our system are going to lose faith in it. There are many who don't believe in our system anymore, and I get that. But for those who still believe in it, it right. will undermine the sense that there is right and wrong, that the bad people do go to jail, that we have a rule of law, and that laws matter. Because Donald Trump did several things. He did a behind-the-scenes coup, which we're learning more about. And if they were still investigating that, I can understand, because we are still learning things about that. So you've got the behind-the-scenes coup using the apparatus of the DOJ, executive orders to maybe use the government, the military to seize election machines. But, and then you've got the pressure on Mike Pence, which was based on a lie. There was no election fraud. So that's corruptly under federal law, that action. So there's the intent for crime. Then you have January 6th, which only happens because Donald Trump lied about the election, radicalized people for two months, told them to be there by tweet saying it's going to be wild, and then gave him a speech when he said, are they chanting fight for Trump? And he goes, we're going to go down there and I'm going to go down there with you. And he said numerous times that Joe Biden didn't win the election and we can't let this happen. We can't let this happen. There was no peaceful way not to let that happen. There was only one way. And that's exactly what happened. So at least in tri charging with incitement to riot, which since it's on federal property is a felony under federal law, he could be charged with at least that. And then you can build your other cases. The fact Merrick got, look, different times on my show and talking to people in our circle are our energy has built in terms of anger towards Garland, not as a person, but what he's doing. Because he seems like a really good human being and a smart guy and a great lawyer and all that. But it's more in the beginning, in the fall, I would bring it up and people would say, wait, wait, wait. You know, give him time. And then I think after Saturday's speech, it was a breaking point for some, because on my show, talk about what people who used to say, oh, I was waiting for him. Now when he's out there offering pardons and calling on people to do the biggest protest again if he's charged and everyone knows what that means. Even some people on the fence were like, well, you better charge him soon, Garland, because we're going to be protesting outside of the DOJ going, where are you? I mean, we're, if he's not charged, we understand this. It's saying what he did was legal. And that means Trump or anybody else, Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz, whoever in the future can do the same exact conduct behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. And you can't have that. It's not compatible with a democratic republic. It's just not. So, Merrick Garland, he's got to step it up. And, and if not, he should, I think, honestly, he should have appointed a special counsel 
early on because I think he knew politically he didn't have the fortitude or the desire to charge the former president of the United States first time ever. I don't think he wanted to do that. And I could respect that. So right away, appoint special counsel, outside counsel who'll be doing all of this, and you don't have to be worried. And they give you the report and you go, well, there's eight crimes here. I got to go to the grand jury with it. But now you've dragged this out to this point. And, and Mary, how could, if, what if they wait till next year and Donald announces he's the candidate? How can you charge an actual candidate for president who's leading with crimes and then it looks so political. Like he's gotta be charged now before we get to next year. Uh, he's gotta be charged before 2022. Well, before sorry, it is 2022, November, 2022. Be because if we lose 2022, it's, I, I don't like being negative and I'm, I'm not but conceding Canada anything. I'm not oh, being can, cynical. <laughs> No, no, I'm just saying that that if we lose in 2022, and I would argue that if we do, it's probably illegitimate because of all the shenanigans that are going on uh, at the state level in Republican legislatures, then it it almost makes it impossible for us to win in 2024 because the, um, you know, if we lose the House, investigations get stopped. If we lose the Senate, we lose the courts and on and on. Uh, so it's, it's less that um, I think that there's a possibility that Garland is doing stuff behind the scenes. It's that he's already kind of told us who he is in the context of this job. As soon as he decided to defend Donald against mm -hmm. E. Jane Carroll, uh, as soon as he decided not to release um, the material that Bill Barr tried to and succeeded in hiding uh, about the Mueller investigation and on and on. I mean, there, there's a long list of things that Garland has done that are uh, suspect or well, maybe that's the wrong word that I think are detrimental to the institution he's allegedly trying to I, I agree with you. And look, we all know the FBI openly investigated Hillary Clinton over emails Yet we hear not even a hint the FBI is investigating Donald Trump for a coup and a terrorist attack on our Capitol. And that's a horrific double standard there. And we all, everyone watching and listening understands if Barack Obama in 2012 lost and did exactly what Donald Trump did, Barack Obama would have been charged with crimes. He, he may have even been executed, to be honest, if they could have gotten to him. But he would have been, well, certainly right, he would have been charged with crimes. And Republicans would have been every day, Fox News would be like, day 37, you know, fugitive president, still not charged. And it would have been a countdown and Republicans everywhere in one voice would have been screaming for that president to be held accountable. And you know what? They would have been right. Because if Barack Obama or any Democratic president did what Trump did, Donald right. did, that they should be demanding it. And Democrats, with very few exceptions, again, Congressman Raskin a little bit, Ruben Gallego, a few others, will openly talk about prosecuting Donald Trump. And they think it's partisan. And my plea to them is, it wasn't partisan after 9-11 to call for bin Laden to be prosecuted. I call Donald, Donald bin Laden on my show. He is the, the, he is the yeah. orchestrator of January 6th. To me, calling for the prosecution of everybody involved in a terrorist attack on our Capitol is not partisan. That is patriotic. You are defending the United States. That's and if right. Democrats were to frame it that way and say this has nothing to do with politics, we don't, it's not because we disagree on policy. He planned a coup and cited a, a terrorist attack. And all of this we're talking about, if Trump doesn't get charged, if Donald doesn't get charged by Merrick Garland, he can go out there and say with a straight face, 
hey, if I did anything wrong, they would have charged me, and they didn't. So it's all lies, and it's just been another witch hunt. That's the problem with this. I mean, he'll do that anyway, and there are plenty of people who will think it's partisan, even if it's not. That is not a reason. Um, people who know more than I, certainly, about this issue say that Garland cannot take into account the um, repercussions of not charging or of charging. Okay, fine. Um, but then our politicians can't be held hostage either. We cannot worry about the fact that we're dealing with a bunch of um, unprincipled uh, hacks who are willing to call down violence upon our heads if they don't get their way. We can't because, like you said, the longer we wait, the more desperate and partisan it's going to seem. Uh, the longer we wait, and this this is the thing that that makes me crazy. Donald should not have been allowed to have a rally on Saturday during which he said those things he said. Why is he still being allowed to sow even more division, to um, muddy the waters? Uh, and and that, again, that's partially the media, too. You, you, you know, by asking, is he going to run, you're suggesting that he should be able to. And it's such bullshit. It's dangerous. Unless he's charged, there's nothing you can do. If Donald Trump was been under indictment right now and facing trial, there could be a gag order by the court regarding him saying certain things about the trial or talking about underlying so-called facts, which are lies about the election, that kind of stuff. You, you could have a gag order on that. It would, it would be limited in scope, but you could have one. But until that happens, mm -hmm. there's nothing to prevent him. He has a First Amendment right, freedom of speech, to go out there and say what he wants. And thousands of Republicans come up and they chant. And if people go back and watch the clip of Donald Trump saying that January 6th, people are being treated unfairly and he might pardon them, that's bone-chilling and jaw-dropping, what's even worse is the crowd cheering. And that tells you where the base is. Yeah. They don't view the January 6th terrorists. It's no longer their Antifa. Remember that? They're Antifa. No, no. They were our people. And you were treating our people unfairly. And Donald Trump is... It's not... Look, anyone who did anything for him, he pardoned Steve Bannon, Roger Stone. So it's not surprising that Donald's like, yeah, they stormed the Capitol for me. They got the Trump flag. I'm going to pardon them. Of course, that, that's yep. expected of this guy. For him to say it openly like this, he's taunting Merrick Garland right now. And at some point, I'm hoping there'll be oversight hearings like in the House and the Senate where they pressure more. I, I need, look, Democrats got to step up here. Because Democrats don't talk about the threat posed by Trump and this GOP that's out there, there are a lot of people who think, I guess everything's okay, you know, because not following these close. Like, no one, if Chuck Schumer went out there and goes, this GOP is a fascist movement, it's a threat to our democratic republic, and if we don't stand up to it, we're going to lose everything, and kept saying it, the media have to cover it. And they go, what do you mean? And let the right go crazy. But when you don't say that, and you're like talking about bipartisan deals and bipartisan reform on this and that, you're making it seem like they're okay, we're going to make a deal with them on the Electoral Account Act. Okay, but they're still horrible. Yeah, that, that to me has been one of the most maddening things because uh, the whole conversation about bipartisan, first of all, it's right. It's nonsense. Like there's no reason that bipartisanship is, is the, the best desired outcome. I, it's just not. Uh, and by the way, it's also impossible as the Senate is currently constituted or as Congress is currently constituted. But when you as a Democrat make bipartisanship with this Republican Party, 
your goal, then you are making common cause with fascists. You are ceding them territory they sh- and power they right. should not have. Please, Democrats, read the rise and fall of the Third Reich. Read how that, you know, Hitler came to power not through violence. He tried a coup and it failed, went to jail for a short time, and then used democratic means to gather power. And the, the Nazi party ran for office and they had a lot of seats in the Reichstag. And they built coalitions with other parties as they were coming up. And a lot of people thought they could control them or they had to work with them. They had no choice. Once Hitler got to power is when the blood started to pour. Right away he had a blood purge and then from there wars. And I'm not equating Donald Trump with Hitler, but that was a fascist movement that used democracy to come to power. And that's what we're seeing right now. The question is what happens when the GOP, what would satiate their appetite? Like what's... They need to keep giving red meat to their base. So what is it next? They get power all over this country. They pass laws to make it tyranny of the minority. Democrats are a permanent minority on the national level for, for years to come, for decades to come. In state after state, they ban abortion. They overturn gay marriage, marriage equality. They ban books you don't want to read. It can't end. It's like a shark that needs more red meat to survive because the base is going to check out. So what is it then? Put Muslims in camps. Is it some kind of Things we can't even think about right now, something horrific, pages from the Third Reich. I mean, we don't know where it can go, and that's what people need to wake up to the threat. It doesn't end with just banning books. It doesn't just end with saying you, you can't say gay in school or a teacher could be sued. Or it doesn't end with infringing on our ability to cast a vote and overturn elections. It can't end that way. They can never be satisfied or their base is going to leave them. So that the darkness of where they might go... You have to look to the darkest parts of your mind and your worst parts of your imagination and envision it and go, that actually could happen here because there's no, there's no bottom. There can't be a bottom. They can't succeed as a bottom. Our thing is we want to give you policies that help you. They're the opposite. You know, they're about tearing people down, turning people against each other. Quintessential fascist moves. Yeah, it's because they, as we've said, have nothing to offer in terms of making people's lives better. So what they do instead, they make them afraid and they turn that fear, which is very uncomfortable, into rage. And they use that rage to keep people ramped up. And I think we do know where this is going to go because again, at the head of their party is the most vengeful, vengeful, aggrieved person I've ever met in my life. It's going to be What does he do to you? What if he gets back in power? He'll be looking for Mary Trump. He'll be like, you were my niece. You're gone. Cuba. Gitmo. (laughs) What happens to you? Like, he doesn't know my name, but he knows your name. So you... (laughs) You're on a lower level. I'm like a D-level. You... But do you think think he'll stop at at people who are related to him or... People who he whose name he does no he's he's not going to stop at at me or he could get to me um, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, you know it, his 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 enemies my, in the my Senate. name ends with an O so he's got to get work his way all the way down there's <laughs> a lot of people ahead of me to get to before that but you know Mary we've talked about this on my show and if you're just joining us we're on the Mary Trump podcast thank you so much and I'm speaking to but we've talked about this if he gets back in office. And people go, do you think he'll leave peacefully? He didn't leave peacefully the first time. I mean, he'll never leave. He if he gets in the White sakes. House, he doesn't leave until he's no longer able to function as a human being. Like he, he doesn't leave until Ivanka well, that's the thing. Other, like You think Ivanka or Donnie Jr.? 
So I Kendall Roy, definitely. it'll be like I watched the succession, and I I, <laughs> I don't I don't watch that show. I'm well, so, it's about so the Murdochs, but it's a mix. Admit. Now that you see it, it's a mix of the Murdoch kids and Donald Trump Jr. Yeah. and Ivanka a little bit. Uh, yeah, that's why I can't watch it. It's just, it's, it's, it's a little really, too it's close. It's really well done. In any event, so they never. I hope people get that, and people go like, "Well, uh, you can't." Uh, the Twenty Second Amendment says he can't serve more than two terms. You really, you're going to go with that? You're going to go with the, the Constitution? Mm-hmm. The guy wanted to overthrow the election based on a lie. He will come up with some excuse where the Supreme Court, they are institutionalists. I will, they already showed us again when they ruled against him. He thinks by appointing them, he owns them, he can fire them. But at the end of the day, he can slow down the process where there's anarchy and then who knows how it plays out. Because if you're going to be, you're going to count on the 22nd Amendment helping us and saving us from Trump being president for life, you're kidding yourself. Send me money. I've got a unicorn I want to sell you. It's a beautiful unicorn. You're going to love it. But it's not, 22nd Amendment's not going to save us. It's up to us to save us. And that's the play. That's always the play. Run out the clock. Stall. You know, make make opportunities to sow more division, sow more chaos while uh, the the courts are grinding slow but fine. I mean, think about it, um, even in terms of um, private lawsuits. Some reservos, yeah. five years into that case, she gave it up because nothing was I, – I mean, I, I don't know why she gave it up. But after five years, clearly nothing had happened. So whether it was financial a financial burden or she just came to the conclusion that it was never going to get resolved, uh, look at E. Jean's case. This, this is years now that this is going on. My case is much more recent, but it's been going on for over a year and a half. And we still have – it ha- still hasn't started because we still haven't resolved the statute of wow. limitations issue. So, so that's, that is a huge advantage um, because he doesn't care. They don't care. The Republicans are learning this. Okay, um, you want us to, you, you're sending me a subpoena. I'm going to ignore it. So you need to take me to court. Oh, and you're going to take me to court and I'm going to lose? Well, I'm still going to ignore you because what are you going to do to me? And that, that is the new, that's the new play here. And it seems to be remarkable. Look at Mark Meadows, the... We were just talking about this earlier on my show where Mark Meadows was referred for contempt December 14th, I believe. It was mid-December, I think. It was December 14th. It's February. The DOJ, what, are they that backlogged? They go, you know, we have a lot more important cases. No, you should have looked at that case immediately. Yeah. And if, if you can't, if you're not going to go to a grand jury and indict him, then at least tell the January 6th committee why. So maybe they can try to work out something. And there could be behind the scenes something going on with Meadows. He... You know, Trump lost that Supreme Court case on documents. So they might be negotiating behind the scenes, and we don't know that. And that's it. Meadows is a chance of that because he, right. he began cooperating, then he pulled back. I think the January 6th committee is just remarkable, right. though, in what they're doing. And Me too. You know, I recently chatted with Congressman Jamie Raskin, who said they're going to have hearings in the spring. They're hoping maybe more like May, but they're not going to do one offs. They're going to mm-hmm. tell a story. They're going to do it over a bunch of days. That's what their yeah. hope is. And the Americans, if they don't want to look away, are going to hear the whole tale of January 6th and Donald Trump's involvement. And I'm hoping Merrick Garland watches that and sees their report. And if there's conclusions that he should be charged, I hope that Merrick Garland will say, I can't look away. I'm at least going to go to a grand jury, present the evidence, and let them decide one way or the other. And if a grand jury doesn't indict, I could sort of live with it. I think they will indict. If a grand jury doesn't, if a jury doesn't convict Donald, yeah. that I, I would live with. It would suck, but I would live with that. A grand jury will indict Donald right. Trump based on evidence. You don't need the- yeah. yeah, that yeah. that would be hard to 
swallow if they didn't indict him. But before we get there, you're right. Um, the the January 6th committee has been doing, I think, an excellent job. Uh, people wonder why it's taken so long. Well, because there are hundreds of witnesses, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pages of documents. They need to nail right. this. They cannot put a foot wrong. And if this committee puts together a narrative that's one one hundredth as compelling as the narrative Congressman Raskin put together for the second impeachment, uh, then I think Americans will uh, sit up and pay attention because it's compelling. And we do need to televise them because uh, when <laughs> it still blows my mind, when the four Capitol Police officers, they weren't all Capitol Police officers, but when those four officers who were there that day testified, it was stunning, it was heartbreaking, and the only counter the Republicans had, like Ted Cruz was too busy because he was playing basketball. Uh, So they weren't even, they weren't pushing back against it, they were just saying it's not important enough for us to, to, to listen to. So good luck doing that every day when this committee is telling the story of how we almost lost and, our country. You, know, you bring up the police officers, it's a great point because going back to Donald wanting to pardon the January 6th terrorists for being treated unfairly, if people think back to what those officers went through, you have 140 officers staining injuries, some horrific, some driven to take their own lives afterwards. But okay. that, And when you look through the yep. pleadings, and I've written about it, of some of those who are still behind bars. You have guys who went there with tactical vests and Confederate flag helmets on their helmets who beat police officers, Trump wants them right. free. You've got uh, other, you've got the, the 11 Oath Keepers who are charged with seditious conspiracy. They're being treated unfairly, I guess. The others who went there with mace and goggles, because it was all planned. It wasn't happenstance, it wasn't like organic. They came there to go hunting in the name of Donald Trump. And also the, the Oath Keepers, to remind you, the media doesn't connect it too well. The Oath Keepers said, in, and this was stated in indictments last year when they were first charged for a regular conspiracy, not seditious, that the reason they went is because Donald Trump said, be there and be wild. And they were communicating with each other. It's now in the public. You can read it. Yes, sir. He wants to make it wild. Yes, sir. We'll be there. They were taking their orders from Donald Trump. I think it's hard to believe Donald didn't know that when Roger Stone and other Republicans had Oath Keepers as security for them and that they didn't know what was going on. And we're going to see the January 6th committee can put that together. Yeah, uh, well, I certainly hope so, uh, because this, in my view, this was worse. And I, I, I'm not, I don't mean in terms of uh, loss of life, obviously, but as, as an event in American history, this was worse than September 11th, uh, because it was our own that the ostensible head of our own government inciting other Americans to overturn the results of a free and fair election to commit violence against our capital and potentially against our members of Congress. And yet they still haven't been held accountable, um, which also makes it worse because after September 11th, the people who got punished were American Muslims who did nothing except commit the crime of being American Muslims. So that's another um, reason that I find this uh, lack of accountability, not just now, but for, for Donald, period, and for his enablers in Congress and others, period, because 
what they've done is so horrific uh, from COVID, from uh, putting children in cages, from the muzzle ban, all of it put together is, is so devastating. And yet they're white guys. So as, yeah. as a Muslim American, how do you, if, if you even can, um, grapple with that? Because it's just horrific. There's no fairness. I mean, we know that. I, I will say after yeah. 11 Americans united, and, and that was one of the things that's so different than now. We didn't have 56% of Americans in one political party viewing January 9-11 uh, as an act defending freedom. Like we have 56% of Republicans viewing January 6th as an act defending freedom. That's what's so devastating. And what's worrisome, th those who support that attack are on our soil. They're right here. They look like everybody else. And yep. their goal, either consciously or unconsciously, is to end our democracy. You know, we never, there was no threat after 9-11 that our democracy was going to fail. That never happened. This is really a threat from within that our democratic republic can come to an end with these guys that we can live in, at the very least, a country like Hungary, turning into that model where it just is backsliding into autocratic. And mm -hmm. it looks like on some level, it yeah. looks like still a democratic republic. You're having elections. But in reality, things are so rigged by laws in the states and media. There's media critics and dissent, but it gets a little bit harder. And some people start self-censoring because they're afraid of the, the backlash, that kind of stuff. That's the model in a way. So, yeah, to me, you, you, it's hard. You can't compare them. But post 9-11 America was a united country that was not facing a threat of the loss of our democratic republic. Post January 6th America is one where the enemy is among us and still working toward the goals of putting in that dictator, that king that they want. I mean, they want, let's be blunt, if you get people on the right right now who love Trump, the choice between democracy and Trump as president, they would pick Trump as president. There's no, there's no debate about that. Of course no. they would pick Trump as president. That's what they right. want. And they were justifying their mind that, oh, he yeah. won the election. No, he didn't win the election. But they don't need proof. It's all right. a lie. They're just like children. Like, this is what I want, and I don't care. They're like Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka. Like, I want it now, Daddy. I want Donald as president now. I'm going to storm the Capitol. That's what we've got. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, that they should all be singing that song. Um, it's... And worse, so many of those people are still running our government because they're Congress people and senators. Um, so this is quite disturbing. How, how, how do you, as a comedian... Allegedly. Uh, find I, allegedly a comedian. Sorry? I used to be a full-time comedian. Now I'm like full-time media. I so know. I do some comedy. But you're still... I mean, you are, you are unlike me or a lot of other people, this is, this was something you made a career right. out of. You're still involved. Um, how we had this issue after September 11th, we have this after any national tragedy. It's certainly hard to figure out a way to be funny about COVID. Um, so how do we maintain some sense of equilibrium? How do we find ways to, um, not have things feel so heavy and dark all the time? And can we use, as we have in the past, or should I, I should say, as people like you have in the past, find ways to use comedy to heal over some of the fractures in our society? Because we are well, so I think broken. you need to recharge. I think everybody needs a break. Look at Rachel Maddow's about to take a break from her show to maybe April, except for to right. work on other projects. But it's a, right. it's a perfect time. So if you if you have to check out 
if you're going to check out in February and March of this year, because then we're going to really run up to 2022 election. But the point is, it, there are times you have to check out. There are times you have to go turn on Netflix or listen yeah. to music or turn off the TV and not get engaged. Not as we get closer to election day, but the, if you don't enjoy yourself, if there's no balance to it, it's crazy. I mean, look, the, a lot of because of COVID still in New York City, a lot of the, the things that I do to balance my life are more like watching Succession or watching documentaries on the rise of Hitler. I know, kind of weird. <laughs> They're not fun, but fun they, that's becomes, on some level it becomes instructive and I feel like, okay, uh, we're learning a lesson here. But having fun watching like Cobra Kai, I really like Cobra Kai. And you gotta have fun. I think it's really important. I think we, where you can laugh, it needs to, there's a lot of, there is some good political comedy out there. In the years after 9-11, myself and a lot of other comics on the left, especially those who were Middle Eastern heritage or Muslim, you know, we use comedy a lot to talk about our story and who we were. And that did really, that did really well for people. It was cathartic for our community. Like when we would do shows and the community, the audience was mainly Middle Eastern American or Muslim American, that they would laugh because we were not on TV yet. None of us were. And they're like, oh my God, you're talking about what we're going through. This right. is so great. And it, it was a different experience. It was a very personal experience for people in the community. Like we got to have a good time and laugh together. And now it's a little different. Like, you know, you, you go in the clubs and I'll do a little comedy here and there, but it's not six nights a week like I used to do and do spots all travel the country. Yeah. That you wonder if there's Trump supporters in the audience. During the time of Trump, you had you were always where you would do a political joke about Trump and see someone looks at you angrily, glaring you at you. But I mean I still joke around and still go on here and there and talk about, you know, recently talking about like, look, the polls show that Republicans, a majority want to secede, they want to start their own country. It's like, it's like being in a bad relationship. I said, we have to break up first because you never want them to be able to want to break up. So we should call them like, look, we just want to see the other country, not you. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. We, we think you're cheating on us with Russia anyway. So why don't you just, you know, we're going to just take the state and you're free to go see other people, whatever countries, see other countries, enjoy it, that kind of stuff. They think they're taking, they think they're going to like, leave and take all of the, the the assets of the state that's owned by the government, the federal government. They're not. They're, they're right. on their own. They're like a child who's a runaway. Like, go start your life over. But you, you try to joke around. There's not a lot of political comedy. When I go see in the clubs now, when I'm just doing spots, there's not a lot of comedy about politics. I think people are politics out hmm. a lot, and we're trying to find their footing and where to go. And, you know, so much of my comedy in the years in the past were about being Muslim or of Arab heritage, it was political because of the time. It wasn't political in, in Democrat right. or Republican. I was always a liberal Democrat, but it was more like, here's who we are, right. and here's what George W. Bush is saying about us, or here's what Republicans are saying about us today. And that really animated us and me to do my comedy because it was like a form of activism, and it was fun. But that, that's what your uh, organization, Stand Up for Peace, was about, um, which was such a great idea. One, can you talk a little bit about that? Do you have plan? I'm, I know COVID kind of ruined everything uh, or interrupted everything. So do you have plans for that going forward? Because I think everything right. is politicized these days by one side or the other, mostly by one side. But what you're talking about is acceptance. You're talking about finding commonality. And one of the most effective ways to do that is to have people laughing about the same thing, even if they're coming at that issue from very different True, and Stand Up For Peace was a comedy show that me and my good friend Scott Blakeman, we, we started years ago, like 13, 14, 15 years ago. And he's Jewish and I'm Muslim and we perform 
allotted colleges where the Muslim and Jewish student groups would bring us mm -hmm. together. They would book us and we would do comedy about our respective backgrounds and then do a Q&A at the end and a lot of times have dinner with the students. And, you know, most of the time, the Muslim and Jewish students were getting along well. Every now and then you'd go to a campus where there's some tension. But we also performed at some mosques, at some synagogues. It was a lot of fun because you were... Now, people are self-selecting, let's be blunt. But we would go to the Deep South and get booked at schools in Mississippi and Tennessee. And it was fun to be down there. I feel like ambassadors who have, you know, Jews and Muslims are both actually in the Deep South kind of friends more than you would expect because they feel like under the gun, they're minority faiths in territory of people who are far right a lot of times. Christians who are just really, who either try to convert you or hate you type of thing. And so they were dealing with that down there. We right. would hear it from them. So it, it was fun. And we were still, the last show we did was probably pre-COVID, but there was a time we were at colleges all over the place doing it and at community events. And it was fun to see people from two different groups together laughing together. And we felt good that just by them being together in a room that we had done something in a step to fostering understanding, which we were about. And look at today's right. It's the opposite. It's, it's really just reaffirming hate. Today, if we did a tour like Stand Up for Violence, we get booked on the right. We get booked at Republicans. Stand Up for January 6th. That's going to be our new tour. And we're going to be uh, booked at Republican events all across the country. Well, yeah. that is, that is a way to go. Um, I would prefer you not do that. But uh, so, but do you, so do you think that, that there's no room anymore, or at least right now, for sure something there, like there is. For peace? Uh, when colleges have a lot more events, maybe we'll do some events. But sure, there, there is. There's always a time to laugh and bring people together from different backgrounds. I always think, even if they're getting along fine and great, why not have some fun together? That's the least. But I'm thinking about becoming yeah. the Muslim Candace Owens, so you might, I might be leaving. I'm going to be going on Fox News. I'll be the Muslim for Trump. And uh, Yeah, I talked to Mary Trump. I used to be her friend. She, not a good person. Donald's right. the guy. I'll be on with Diamond and Silk and Dean. That's right. It'll be... Uh, hey, no as long as I get a cut, right? I, the, uh, go, go the, for it. I mean, it. that's the funny thing. Like, if you were a right wing, <laughs> if I switch sides... I could do a lot of work. I would be like a genius yeah. on the right. <laughs> on the yeah. left, I'm like mid-level. But on the right, I would be a superstar. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. It's that, it's that on the right, you would be, um, you would be helping them right, right. make their case <laughs> that it's okay to be an anti-Muslim bigot because look. Right. Dean says it's okay. Yeah, but when you look at the right, look yeah. at like Ben uh, Shapiro is considered a genius. If he was a liberal, he'd be middle of the pack. He wouldn't be a, he's not a dope, but he would be middle of the You're giving right. him he'd be way too much best, credit. Middle of the road, yeah. nothing special. But, you know, some of these people, yeah. he's probably a true believer because I've interacted with him over the years. But some of them, I think yeah. it's a career decision. Like you're going to be like, I'm going to do this. And I know mm -hmm. there's a market and I can make a lot of money doing this being on the right. And there are true believers on the right too. I know it because... I've dealt with them. I think there's some people on the left who look at them and go, they can't believe what they're saying. No, they do. <laughs> they, they really do. You have to understand. There are a lot of believers. And then yeah, they do. And Tucker Carlson, for a long time, long time, people are like, I know Tucker. He's not really like that. Well, he is now. Whatever you knew Tucker was like before, yeah, this is now. the real Tucker. This is the guy right here. He's a white nationalist. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we can see how some people are making that calculation. Uh, it's oh. happening with Bill Maher. Long uh, disliked him. Not that he's... Um, long disliked Bill Maher. I'm sorry? He used, to be, 
He was anti Muslim. Oh, I, I, I can't stand him. him. And I was writing articles about it. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm like, he's been an Islamophobe from the beginning. Right. I cannot stand him. Uh, he's horrible. He always has been. Just now, he he seems to think that you know he 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 will have even more success by um, being the darling of Fox News, which he seems to be very proud of because he seems now to think that uh, making fun of liberals is, in his word, golden. And I think he means that literally. So, you know, we see these people making that decision based on what they, and again, I'm not saying he's always been a horrible person. I'm not, I do not understand why liberals didn't, were willing to overlook that about him, but they were. Um, but now, now it's it's not just uh, being an anti-Muslim bigot; it's being an anti-democrat, anti-democratic bigot. Uh, that seems to be where he thinks he's going to cash in. So I guess more power to and he him. Doesn't but, the, right. um, he doesn't have the guys of trying to help Democrats. I'm telling you this because Democrats, yeah. you know, I'm trying to help you. Sure. There was a time he, you know, he gave a million dollars to Barack Obama to a super PAC or something. I mean, there was a time mm. where he was yeah. center left. Now, I, I don't know where he really is on the spectrum, but he is somebody who is about trying to stay relevant at all times. So he'll say whatever he has to say to stay relevant. Yep. And because if you don't, if yep. you stay one thing, yep. you're, at some point, people know exactly what you're going to say and you're not getting press anymore and it's not relevant. He's been very, very good at keeping himself relevant for all these years. For a guy who's, you know, moderately talented. I don't think he's untalented, but he's not amazingly talented. He's a moderately talented guy, and he's done really well with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that the only two genuine positions he has are uh, about to be anti-Muslim yeah. and to be misogynistic. Everything else is he's just an opportunist and uh, not a particularly funny one. Um, Dean, I know I know we're going long, but I have I have – Two uh, things I want to talk to you about quickly, and then I actually have really? some listener questions. Wow, okay, sorry, go ahead. Viewer questions. Uh, so first, I, first, I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about your Freedom from Fox News campaign because it's brilliant, wow. and I think it it gives people information that they never would have had otherwise. So well, tell us a little bit about. I've waged two campaigns against Fox News in the last year. The first one was trying to get people to file complaints with the Federal Trade Commission for them violating the COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act. And I really think they were in violation. They were giving misinformation about the vaccine and the disease. And countless people filed the complaints. I filed with the FTC and they won't tell me if they're investigating. I think Merrick Garland's in charge of that. So they're not doing, I don't think they're doing anything with that. So the second one was freedom from Fox. And we're gonna, at first I just threw it out there, but now I've been talking to Angela Corazon at Media Matters to make it more strategic. Freedom from Fox is calling up your cable company and not saying drop Fox, because they're not going to do that. But the reality is that each of us, if, if right. Fox is on your basic cable package, you're paying on average a little over $2 a month directly to Fox News. So you're paying for Tucker Klansman's. That's I call right. him Tucker Klansman, by the way. Tucker Klansman, right now. So you're paying for their misinformation about COVID. You're paying for them to help destroy our democracy and get Trump in office. So the goal was simply to call up your cable company say, I would like a package that doesn't have Fox News on it. That's it. Some cable companies have it. Most don't. Most will say, we can't do that. That's not the way it works under the current contract. So what I've learned from Media Matters is that 
when contracts are up, and there are big ones coming up in, I think maybe March or April, but I'm in touch with them, and they're going to tell us exactly, and I believe it's with Comcast. When Comcast negotiates with Fox News, then we target Comcast, all the subscribers are calling in and saying, in your new contract, don't make me pay for Fox News. Make it like a premium channel, like HBO or Showtime. Only pay for right. it if you want to watch right. it. Now, I actually believe for all of cable, it should be a la carte. You should pick what you want. But that goes against the business model of cable. But yeah. in the case of Fox News, you know, mm -hmm. the right says they love freedom. Well, I want my freedom from Fox News. I don't want to pay for them. I don't want to fund white nationalism. You know, it's against my religious beliefs to further bigotry. What about my, my religious freedom? So we're about freedom. I just want right. freedom from Fox. I'm not asking them to drop it. People can watch it. If you watch it, you want to watch it, pay for it. That's no big deal. Make it a premium, yeah. make it $3 a month, add it to the bill if people want to watch it. But that's the Fox business model. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the contract fee, it's the carriage fees. Yeah. It's not advertisers. So they understand that's a lethal threat to them. I also understand it too. That's why I came up with the idea because I want it to affect them in a way that might that's impact right. their bottom line and impact what they show on TV. But at the very, very least, I don't want to pay for them. And people are disconnected from cable daily. So at the, at the end of the day, maybe we do our campaign and it's against Comcast and Comcast doesn't give us this option, then people drop Comcast and go to just online and doing it a la carte, getting whatever channels you want, just paying for what you want. I mean, almost everything now, you can get HBO Max, you can get Hulu, you can get things online where you're just paying for what you want mm -hmm. to watch. It's not Netflix, of course. You just pay a monthly that's fee right. and that's it. Yeah, and that's, that's such good information because I think people don't understand why Fox right. doesn't care about advertising or that, or they don't understand that it's useless to boycott advertisers um, because they're getting their money through the cable companies. And I, I don't think uh, Republicans give a damn about freedom, except as far as yeah. that it concerns them, but Comcast certainly understands it and uh, is much more likely to, um, to respond in a positive way to that kind of campaign. I so I absolutely love that. I have one more question, but uh, from me, but first okay. I'm gonna, right, I'm gonna right ask now. the viewer questions sure. and, then, and then we'll wrap up with my question. Um, okay, so from Calvin, after being all over TV as the hashtag GOP voice for police reform, why is Tim Scott in hiding from the media on the issue of being against voting rights? And what's his position on the nomination of a black woman? Well, you know, I was just talking to Tim Scott the other day because we hang out a lot. Me and Tim are BFFs. I, Tim Scott. Yeah, I, thought, I, thought, I thought I saw you Tim guys Scott is a very curious guy. What I always remember about Tim Scott is that he does a press conference where he talked about systemic racism. And he starts out by giving an example of how he got pulled over by the police in D.C. like five times in, in just about a year. And that's systemic racism. But then he goes, and there's no such thing as systemic racism. These are just happen. Like, for you to deny the reality, you shared what happened to you. you were, I thought he was going to go like, and that's what systemic racism is. But he went on to say, these things happen to me, but it's not systemic. That, it, it's, unless it was the same cop following you, it is systemic. The police force sees a black man driving a nice car and they're pulling you over. Let's be blunt. That's exactly what's happening. Um, I think he, from, if yeah. I remember correctly, obviously he voted against, he voted not to allow a debate on the voting rights legislation. He voted for the filibuster. So we know he's not for the voting rights legislation. If I remember correctly, he said things along the lines as they want national, they want to take over federal elections, that kind of garbage, which there should be federal standards for federal elections. Yep. It should be common sense. For elections for Congress, 
People in Congress affect all of us. It should be the same way you get elected across the nation for those positions. For state and local government, I, th those could be different. I get that. I have not seen his remark yet mm -hmm. on a black female justice. I've only seen the other Republicans, how they're celebrating Black History Month by smearing the idea of having a black woman on the Supreme Court. It's a very unique way to celebrate Black History Month. But that's, they kicked it off that way. Yep. Isn't it fascinating? Yeah. I, I think Tim Scott's going to keep his mouth shut. Maybe. That's what I think. But yeah. Um, from Sarah, I would like some strategies for responding to people who believe in Fox News, the big lie, and obviously false COVID info. My instinct is to tear my hair out or theirs. Look, there's... Could get bad. From the times I've had to engage with Fox viewers or right-wingers who watch Fox, there's nothing you can say if you're not in their circle that they're going to trust you with. You have no credibility. So all you can do is... If you want to have nice conversations about the weather with them or, you know, the New York Yankees or the Mets or whoever you like in sports or don't like that kind of stuff, you're not going to change their mind. So you're going to just be frustrated with it. I've had, I had a Trump supporter call up a few months ago and I remember the conversation. He said, Joe Biden has open borders. And I go, are you saying that all the guards working at ICE and the Border Patrol, they've left and people just driving over the border? And he paused and he goes, you shut up. Like he called my show and told me to shut up because no one has said to him the common sense reaction, like, what is open border? To him, it's, he didn't think it through. What is open border? Does that really mean like no one's there? All the people who are paying to work at Border Patrol have given up. They're at home having lunch right now all day and it's open. No, they're talking points. There's no depth to it, but they're going to repeat it. Nothing I can say will change that person's mind. I can make my listeners, I hope, laugh at them sometimes, but we're not, you're not going to reach them. We have to be adults and apply common sense. Don't waste your time trying to reach them. Reach people if you can that are persuadable in the middle and our side, getting us out to vote and stuff. Yeah, I, to I totally concur with that. Uh, and last one from Maureen. Um, Dean, how did you transition from being an attorney to stand-up comedian and a rights and clearance researcher for Saturday Night Live? Amazing. It was, look, it my life has been a journey unexpected completely. Although there's been a common through line that I delusionally believe I'm an activist in everything I do. But I was a lawyer. I didn't like being a lawyer at all. I practiced law for like five or six years. And a friend of mine had become a page at NBC. And so I said, okay, let me apply for the page program. So I go to the page program. And, you know, I'm getting interviewed and I have a really good salary. I'm a lawyer. And they're like, do you know page pays $10 an hour? I'm like, yeah, I know. But you got to get in somewhere. So I became a page. I quit being a lawyer <laughs> to make 10 bucks an hour as a page. And then I got hired from the page program to SNL, because it's sort of a feeder program for different shows, and they liked me. So I got hired to SNL. First year I worked as a receptionist slash research, and then the next year full-time doing rights and clearance and research as part of Senate Live's production team. So I wasn't doing legal work per se, but I was the liaison to the legal department about issues like, can we use these clips on our show, the video clips, that kind of stuff. So it was fun, and, and while doing that, in my last few years of being a lawyer, I was doing comedy at night, and then when I started working Saturday Night Live, I started doing comedy as much as I could, working in the city and going out and do comedy all the time. So it was that natural transition. And the journey continues where now I'm more of a full-time media person between my radio show and writing for various publications and my activism in, in, that, in that field. I view myself as an activist even with my radio show and my writing. I'm, I have an opinion on it, and I'm trying to get people hopefully yeah. to listen and maybe agree, and if I can, animate them to get more involved then I'm really, really happy. 
Yeah, I, I think that it is vitally important that there is are as many voices out there speaking truth to power, informing the American people about what's going on, because so often the mainstream media is falling down on the job. And um, I think the work you do is incredible. Um, I strongly encourage everybody to listen to your Sirius XM show, to read every column you write, follow you on Twitter. We'll sure. get to the handle in sure. a second. I have one last question before we wrap up um, that I, I've started asking everybody because these are tough times. Um, you know, I think after the the election in 2020, people really did and uh, believe that things were going to be better and that um, if not, you know, if, if not everything would get solved overnight, at least we would be heading in, in, in a much better direction. And um, as as you mentioned earlier, things are worse. So in the context of, of the onslaught, um, what what gives you hope? It gives me hope meeting people, you know, talking to you, talking to others in our world who are not going to give up, right? But the resistance continues. And remember with the resistance 2018 and 19, even though we're in power now, I really feel like the resistance is coming back to life. And I'm not delusional, but I do believe the nation moves forward. Our history always shows we move forward, but there are steps back. And it always happens. There's nothing, reading a book on voting. There's been fights since the beginning about who can register, who could vote, and who can register to vote, and then one party, right. either one, whatever party thought was going to help them, making it easier or harder to vote. This happened through time. If you know our history, you understand this is a unique time, but not unbelievably unique. There's been political violence yeah. from the earliest days of our, our nation, yeah. right through, obviously, January 6th. So knowing the history of our nation gives me a little hope, uh, but, you know, I think a lot of times that keeps me going is the the memory of my late father and the idea he came to this country as a refugee for a better country. So I take this very personally, like when Donald was saying that Republicans demonize any group, LGBT, black, Asian, Hispanic, Jewish, Muslim, that my father came here because America representing something special. And that to continue in that vein, and my father died over 20 years ago, but I'm not going to let these people insult my late father and spit on the dream that he had, the American dream, by turning this nation to the white nationalist fascist nation that these guys are pushing for. So there's different things, but at the end of the day, I think we will, I, at the end of the day, you gotta really work hard. You can't check out, you can't hope things. In Muslims, we say, inshallah, God willing. It can't just be God willing. You've gotta be willing to get involved. And if mm-hmm. all of us stay involved, there are more of us. We just have to make sure we come out and keep getting more people engaged that we can win elections even even with their little obstacles, I think we can do better if we get more people than ever involved to get them in. So that's what keeps me going. I really think that we can win and that it's a, it's a, it's a rightful crusade. Like we're doing it for the good reasons. Wow, thank you for that. That's, uh, that's really powerful. Anyway, um, so Dean, uh, please let everybody know uh, where we can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Dean Obidala. Good luck spelling it. Or uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash Dean of Radio. Or if you're on SiriusXM, if you subscribe, SiriusXM, my, cha- my show is channel 127, Progress, from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, five nights a week. And if you don't subscribe, go to the website. There are free trials on SiriusXM. You can keep giving fake emails and getting free subscriptions. So keep doing it that way. Why not? Have fun. They make a lot of money. <laughs> so do that. Or email me, dean at deanofradio.com. I sincerely love to hear from people. 
And Mary, thanks for having me on. It's been great chat. I've been great getting to know you from when your book came out, coming on my show, and then coming on my show more and more and chatting and learning more about you and your story. So I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks. It's, a, it's such a pleasure. I'm so grateful to have you here. We'll have all of that information about where to find you in the show notes. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again soon. It was thanks, my friend. such a great time to spend this. It was so much fun spending this much time with you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Dean. Now we've come to one of my favorite parts in the show where I get to answer your questions. I love hearing from you. So if you do have anything you'd like to ask me, please send an email to mary at politicon.com and I'll get to as many of your questions as I can. Today, first up, we have a question from Hugo who asks, we have MSNBC, CNN, Fox, Newsmax, and OAN as TV cable networks. Three amazingly to the right, and two that are sort of real news. Why don't we have more left cable news networks? That is a very good question. Um, I was talking to somebody recently about this very issue. Aren't there billionaires on the left who could fund these things? It, it's such a glaring omission. And, you know, and, and honestly, it's not even that uh, we need left-leaning news outlets although we do, but it's also that, that we need objective reporting. You know, even on MSNBC, the alleged liberal network, we have people like Chuck Todd giving free reign to insurrectionists without any pushback whatsoever. So, you know, the whole liberal media thing is a complete myth anyway. So, um, I don't know. I, I swear, if I if I had uh, the kind of money some some of these allegedly left leaning people have, the first thing I I would do is start a, a network. Um, but uh, it's a question I've never been able to answer satisfactorily. But it's still a good question worth worth asking. From Cambry, I'm starting to think that everything we are going through is some collective mental breakdown from our pending. Ex- Extinction. Sounds dramatic, but it feels like some of us are in denial, so we devolve into conspiracy theories that are completely insane. Is there a mental component for what we're going through collectively as a country and as a world? Feels like we're losing our shit. It does indeed, doesn't it? Uh, Yeah, I, I hope that it's not because we're facing imminent doom, although... Um, I'm pretty sure the planet would be more than happy to be rid of us. You know, it's funny when people in talking about climate change uh, say that we're destroying the planet. No, uh, the planet's going to be just fine. We're just destroying ourselves and and a lot of our fellow creatures. Um, I think part of what's happening is uh, cyclical. Uh, we never seem to learn from our mistakes. We never seem to use history to teach ourselves what to avoid in the future. Uh, it was Holocaust Remembrance Day a few days ago, and there's that expression, never forget. And, and I think we are forgetting. A lot of us are forgetting. A lot of us are denying that history, because as we see on the right, it makes them uncomfortable. They don't want to face the facts of horrible systems. 
of fascism and uh, racism that continue to benefit them. Uh, you know, these are uncomfortable truths. And we don't teach our children civics or history the way it needs to be taught. So I think that that kind of ignorance makes people susceptible to autocratic rule, to conspiracy theories, to the kind of QAnon nonsense we're seeing uh, become more and more popular and effective on the right. And I, I mean, I say nonsense. It's, it is nonsense in terms of what, what they, they, the information of which it's comprised, which is all insane and false. But it isn't nonsense in terms of how dangerous it is for us. Uh, so in addition to that, there have been so many horrible, stressful things happening in the last four or five years that uh, I think we are kind of collectively losing our shit. Uh, unfortunately, that that kind of chaos and sense of doom and sense of being overwhelmed just plays into the right's hand. Uh, as hard as it is, we kind of have to stand together against it and not not cede any territory to uh, the fascists on the right, to the wannabe autocrats, to the anti-democratic forces that seem to be much more organized uh, against us than we are against it. And we need to get organized and we need to make sure that we are speaking clearly and truthfully about what's going on. From Suzanne. Why are Republican leaders so determined to use COVID misinformation to kill off their base? It's just not logical. I could easily understand psychopath Donald secretly enjoying killing the kinds of people who attend his rallies, but what's up with the other Republican politicians? Well, first of all, they don't care <laughs> about other people. Um, and I think they've made the, the calculation that COVID isn't going to kill enough of their base to make a difference in an election because they are working so assiduously to make sure people on the left can't vote. Uh, so they don't really need that many people left alive to vote for them. Uh, as cynical as that sounds, I think it's actually true. They are counting on the fact that most people who would vote against them won't be able to vote at all. And we need to keep our eyes wide open about that. That's precisely what's happening with all of these voter suppression bills winding their way through Republican legislatures in every state in this country and uh, the incredible and extreme gerrymandering that they're also trying to push through. Uh, from Tom, why is the right having so much success weaponizing school boards? What can we do to fight back? Well, it is historically the case that the right does a much better job participating in local politics and targeting local elections. I don't understand why the Democrats haven't gotten more serious about that over the last few decades. We really need to be fighting for every possible seat at every level of government. And that's what the right does. That's why they are so much more organized uh, in school boards. It also doesn't hurt that, I mean, it hurts us, but it doesn't hurt their cause that, you know, they, they have uh, oath keepers 
and three percenters willing to show up at school board meetings and threaten people. Uh, but if our school boards were comprised of more people who were interested in, I don't know, democracy and teaching our children American history accurately and letting them read fucking books, then um, I don't think we would be having as much of a problem as we are at this point. From Davina. Do you think that America, with the lack of historical context of a new country, simply does not realize how enormous the January 6th insurrection was, that its significance has been diminished to such degree that some media persons can dismiss it altogether? I think the historical illiteracy of the vast majority of Americans is a tragic problem, uh, and it does, it does fuel uh, the willingness of a lot of people not to think that January 6th was a big deal. Uh, but to be fair, it's also because the media don't seem to understand or see, don't seem to be able to convey to people how incredibly dangerous January 6th was and continues to be. You know, it's not over yet and we can't pretend otherwise. The other, and I would argue potentially bigger problem, is that we have two political parties in this country, one of which is completely comfortable pretending that January 6th didn't, either didn't happen or it was a totally cool event. If you have one, one of our two political parties making that case to the people who vote for Republicans, then it shouldn't surprise us that most Republicans don't think January 6th was that big a deal. Uh, and it's, again, the fact that Republicans, elected Republicans, are allowed to get on shows like Chuck Todd's show and spout their dangerous nonsense with no pushback that has kind of led to this uh, continuing inability for people to grasp just how bad things were how bad they are, and how much worse they could have gotten on January 6th, and how bad they can still get. Uh, from Gary, all the Republican Party has to do is say critical race theory, and Dems lose white suburban housewives. How do we overcome that? Also, there also seems to be a rise of women in white supremacist groups. What can we do? Um, I actually didn't know that that was the case, that uh, women were increasing their uh, membership in far-right organizations. But, you know, let's face it, women are can be horribly racist, too, and a lot of women uh, can also be misogynists. Um, what we can do, though, the most simple thing we could do is say racism and urge the media to do better and use accurate language. We're not asking the media to be alarmist or to make shit up. We're asking them to portray accurately the situation now we, we now find ourselves in. We're in a crisis that is being fueled by racists and fascists exclusively on one end of the political spectrum. Uh, from Culpreet, what is the likelihood that the Biden administration will expand the Supreme Court to save democracy, our rights, we will need to do more than just replace Justice Breyer. What, what would need to happen? Um, I don't know. People would need to come to their fucking senses. 
it it mystifies me that um, we needed to put together a commission to decide how to reform the Supreme Court. One thing needed to happen almost immediately, and that was for four seats to be added to the Supreme Court to nullify the illegitimacy of justices Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. Uh, I would throw um, uh, Clarence Thomas in there too, but that's a slightly different issue. Um, but you know, that's a that's an investigation that also needs to happen. Um, it's it's very good news that uh, President Biden is going to replace Barr with a black woman. However, the composition of the court will still be 6-3. And it should have been 5-4. And I hate saying Democratic, Republican, but, you know, these are the uh, polarizing times we live in. Um, Let's let's say it would have been 5-4 with liberal justices in the majority and conservative justices in the minority. The Supreme Court, the, the size of the Supreme Court is not spelled out in the Constitution. The Supreme Court has been sh- smaller. It has been larger. Its size has, has changed over the course of our history. There is nothing in the Constitution that says we need to have nine justices. We could have eight. We could have 14 I believe that at the very least we should add four seats immediately because it's it's not simply about righting or wrong, although it is very much about that. It's that that the majority in the Supreme Court right now does not represent the will of the majority of Americans at all. And we are going to suffer for generations from their reactionary, quote-unquote, originalist take on the United States Constitution. It is too dangerous to do nothing. Uh, From Nalini in Dutchess County, what are your thoughts on mandatory voting? Do you think it would be enough to help overcome the effects of gerrymandering on local elections? And why do you think there hasn't been more of a pushback from the Democratic Party to pass measures like this? Um, Honestly, I don't know enough about the issue of mandatory voting to say what the Democratic Party can or cannot do. Um, I have often thought, though, that in addition to a Bill of Rights, we really should have had a Bill of Responsibility because it is the most important civic duty people have. And um, even though the the turnout in the last election was greater than it's ever been, I believe, um, something like 100 million people still didn't vote at all. That's that's an enormous percentage of the population. Uh, I don't know that we can make it mandatory. Other countries do. Um, but more importantly, though, there are other ways. Um, first of all, you can't outvote voter suppression. So we need to end the practice of voter su- suppression We need to make sure that every American who has the right to vote is allowed to exercise that right. Uh, And by the way, once once that happens, we also need to make it easier for people to exercise that right. It isn't just about making sure people have the right to vote. It's making sure that they can vote without putting obstacles in their way, like waiting online for hours or having to take time off from work or having to find childcare. It is ridiculously difficult, especially 
for black people and other people of color in this country to uh, engage in the franchise. That has to stop. That is incredibly important. And um, I think if the Democrats could get rid of the filibuster and pass those voting rights acts, we would have more parity and the Dem- uh, the Republicans would have a much harder time um, getting away with the quite criminal levels of voter suppression they're constantly engaged in. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Mary Trump Show with me, Mary Trump. And please do join us every week while I have in-depth conversations with some of my favorite people at the intersection of politics, activism, and culture. And again, don't forget to send me some questions. I love hearing from you guys. You can just send me an email at mary at politicon.com, and I will always do my best to get to as many of your questions as I can. Also, follow us, please, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, except Spotify. And please give us five stars because it helps other people find the show. In addition, watch and subscribe on YouTube and don't forget to click that bell because if you do that, then you will be notified immediately whenever we release new videos. Thank you so much again for being here. We'll see you next week. Stay safe.